Welcome to Canthropod, the Cambridge Anthropology podcast. This is episode 23, The Recorded and the Live, Shi Islamic Media in Pakistan, by Timothy Cooper. Hello, I'm Timothy Cooper, a research fellow at the Department of Social Anthropology here at the University of Cambridge. In this sound essay, I attempt to explore something of the atmosphere, intimacy and energy of the morning gatherings that are central to communal devotion for Shi'i Muslims in Pakistan. In this sound essay you will hear from my interlocutors in the Pakistani province of Punjab, as well as extracts from their personal archives of Shi'i rituals, processions and recitations. Translations of these interviews will be read by Abira Arif Bashir. I am honoured to be joined by Karen Ruffle from the University of Toronto and Charles Hirschkind from the University of California, Berkeley, who will put Xi relationships with sound in a wider geographic and disciplinary context. This devotional recitation released on 7-inch vinyl by the multinational label EMI Pakistan in the late 1970s honours Imam Hussain, the grandson of the Prophet Muhammad. Hussain was killed at the Battle of Karbala in 680 AD, along with his supporters and members of his family, the Ehl-e-Bet, while fighting the armies of a tyrannical ruler, Yazid, over rights of succession over the early Muslim community. As the largest religious minority in Sunni-majority Pakistan, the Shia strive to live alongside the Ehl-e-Bet, as trans-historical figures who might teach them, mediate their prayers and be co-present with them in their day-to-day lives. They cultivate this intimacy through events that mourn their deaths and celebrate their virtues, known as majlis. These regular assemblies are held everywhere from purpose-built buildings to canopies erected on street corners and from private homes to online broadcasts. With the arrival of home recording technology in the early 1980s, many started to record majlis gatherings and its program of oration and recitation. Soon after, these individuals established family-run Shi religious media stores beside Muslim shrines or in Shia-majority neighbourhoods. In this sound essay, I explore the role marketplace producers have played in refining the distinct sonic aesthetic of Shi religious media in Pakistan. In the market leading to a Muslim shrine in the Pakistani city of Lahore, a number of Shi media stores have long offered new and old recordings of Majalis, procession footage, compilations of laments and documentaries. Mohammed Shahzad runs the oldest store in the market and has been recording, storing, reproducing and retrieving Majlis recordings for 30 years. Azad, azaz hai na azadari. 
अजा कहते हैं रोने को इसीलिए इसको मजलिस अजा कहते हैं मजलिस कहते हैं उस जगह को जहाँ पर बैठ कर and the people who are attending are called azadars azadari is a system they aren't spectators like at a sporting event the audience at a majlis are azadars samain ko kaha jayega azadar to wo azadar the majlis offers participants various ways of being attuned to shi ethics i asked karen ruffel how the affects emotions and virtues presented in the majlis come to shape everyday life in south asia one way that i've thought about uh the ethical contours of the majlis aza the morning assembly uh and uh and the ways in which uh shia and others uh have the the sort of cultural memory of uh the karbala event and the the model of imam hussein and his family uh sort of known by shorthand as the ahli bayt uh the family of the prophet muhammad specifically uh through his uh daughter fatima zahra uh and her husband ali the first imam uh i've thought and written about the connection between living and acting that enables the memory of karbala to be embodied through these social and cultural forms of production in the space of the majlisaza through poetry through oratory material objects and built space in shi cultural memory the theatrical and the performative are fused in the rituals of the majlisaza narratives and poems render karbala immediate and draw imam hussein and his family into the present the temporal boundary between the 7th and 21st century is erased the majlis is a space where where the boundaries between acting theatricality and living performance blur uh and and so this is where i think that notion that idea the question you've asked about uh sort of the the ethical contours uh can be seen uh so i think that the majlis is a dynamic space these these narratives uh you know change from generation to generation there is a sort of a certain narrative core that remains the same but over time and space uh there are also elements that that you know have a certain dynamic quality that that keep the stories and keep the model of these of these individuals dynamic and relevant and real and and i think that's where you know the the idea of affect and emotion and virtue uh you know come to shape 
uh, everyday life for for South Asian Shia. Despite its association with Shi devotion and public leisure, the shrine beside Muhammad Shahzad's store is widely visited by Sunni Muslims. On Thursday evenings, its courtyard is divided by an invisible line, perceptible largely through different devotional sounds. One unofficial resident at the shrine navigates this invisible line. Muhammad Ashik earns his living reciting prayers. Sunnis, Shia, local Hindus and Christians request him to recite words for loved ones, living or deceased, believing that the sorrow and intensity of his voice will increase the chances of their prayers receiving intercession. I learned this work from my father and have spent my life reciting here. Before my father died, I would recite a little with him, but when he died, I started to work here all the time. The difficulty is that many people from different religions come here. The words I recite should be understood by the common man. The difficulty is ensuring that people always understand what I'm reciting. So no one says, stop, what are you saying? Every word comes with responsibility. Both Sunni Muslims and Shia Muslims come to this shrine. So I need to make sure that whatever I recite satisfies both sides. I recite in two styles. These are not to the tune of popular songs or poems. They have their own connections. There are some praises and recitations sung to the tune of songs. Some people are happy with it and some raise objections. Charles Hershkin's influential work on cassette sermons in Cairo has shown that in an Islamic public sphere, listening can sediment ethical conduct. While Karen Ruffle has shown how the distinct character of Shi devotion in South Asia has long been forged by its close interaction with other faiths and denominations of Islam. Indeed, the material and visual culture of Shi faith is a wellspring for the distinct character of popular religiosity in Pakistan. While the Shia are frequently othered in majoritarian discourse, the Ehle Bet are also loved and mourned by many Sunni Muslims. I asked Charles Hershkin and Karen Ruffle, in countries shared by various faiths and denominations of Islam, how does ethical cultivation take place in the face of possible trespasses such as ambient interruptions, offending images or competing sounds? The practices of ethical cultivation in Cairo that I wrote about did not take place in purified environments, but rather in spaces cluttered with competing or distracting sounds, images, social and religious forms. In many places throughout the world, uh, that environment includes the sounds and images of other religious traditions, where contrasting currents within 
within a single tradition. So ethical cultivation, as I've understood it, does not require exclusivity and purity, but the capacity to dis discriminate what is ethically nourishing from what is not, and to focus on the former. That capacity is not given, of course, but something one develops over time through effort and repetition. And one may very well fail in that attempt, and that failure is recognized as a possibility within the tradition. Life goes on for other people, uh, not, you know, in Hyderabad. The Shi'i community is a minority, right? It's a micro-minority community. And, and so the, for Shia and others who participate in the majlis and are on the street, life goes on all around. Uh, so cars are going by, auto rickshaws are going by, large trucks are going by on, on very narrow streets and and horns are honking, right? So this is adding to uh, a very complex sonic stew almost, right? It's, it, you know, it, it is a bit of a cacophony. And, and so as one is listening and, and focusing on what the Zakir is telling in, you know, in that oration, the, it, there's this, I think, intense tension that, that the devotee inhabits between the world that's going on right, right next to you, right? People walking by, uh, cars whizzing by, right? Horns honking, people talking. And then, you know, you're, you're sort of in the process, you're, you're always sort of in tension with this movement back and forth between the 7th century, right? This, the, the Karbala event, uh, Imam Hussein and his sufferings, and the world as it's happening in the moment. Back in Lahore, Muhammad Ashik explained to me that like the saints whose shrines populate Punjab, music has long been a vehicle for proselytization in Pakistan and South Asia, making the threshold between recitation and song a particularly porous one. From the 1980s, a number of vocalists, such as Taranam Naz, successfully segued from a career as a singer of film songs to that of a popular devotional reciter, with releases like this. <laughs> उनके बेटों और भाई की लाशों को पामाल कर दिया गया। Hussain died fighting for justice. His pure body was trampled by horses. His sons and brothers' dead bodies were mutilated. His innocent child's neck was torn by an arrow, and his body was cast aside. Yet the biggest tragedy of all is that Hussain's sister and daughters were not permitted to mourn. Mm-hmm.
The widespread adoption of home recording technology that fueled the growth of Shi'i media allowed for the documentation of events of personal, social and ritual significance, as well as providing new ways of cultivating intimacy with the El Ebet. Mohammed Shazad again. Yes, when my brother was a student, he would go and make recordings. It was his hobby. He had a small tape recorder and went around from place to place. Gradually, he made a lot of cassettes. Other people he met at different gatherings started asking him for copies. Any extant recordings of the great Pakistani Shi'i reciters of the post-partition era do not exist as archival objects or releases from major labels, but through the effort care and personal expense of Majlis collectors and Shia marketplace media producers like Muhammad Shazad. Just like that, my brother started this business. There was no shop at first. Wherever there was a majlis, he would go and set up his cassette stall. Gradually, people from other cities heard about the stall, that there was someone making cassettes of majlis gatherings, which was impossible to imagine before. People would write letters to us asking us to deliver tapes to them. Then we started this shop in the 1980s. The work of these traders created networks through which individual reciters, both male and female, lament groups and prayer associations released their own recordings. With post-production technology, the gentle chest beating that expresses mourning in the laments became more intense. Other traders pushed back against what is described as the professionalization of religious recitation and its use of studios and audio effects. They preferred the noise contingency and presence of live recording. Ali Raza is a producer of religious media in a Shi'i Muslim majority neighborhood. His small store was one of the first independent producers of Shi'i religious media in Pakistan. Since returning from expatriate labor in the Gulf in the 1980s, 
he has used recording technology to document ritual and commemorative gatherings. विजिट करने लोग आते थे ना खासकर मुहर्रम में अशूर के दिन जैसे आप आए हैं आप कहते थे ये जो प्रोग्राम हो रहा है इसकी हमें अगर वीडियो लेनी हो वीसीआर का बहुत दौर तो वो डिमांड थी लोगों की पब्लिक तो उसको मद्देनजर आप व्हेन पीपल वुड अटेंड द मॉर्निंग रिचुअल्स दे वुड आस्क इफ दे कैन हैव अ वीडियो और अ कैसेट ऑफ व्हाट दिस ऑल ताकि जो विजिट करने आते हैं वहां के कल्चर के हिसाब से ये कैसेट्स मांगते हैं जैसे उस दिन आपने कहा कि ये लाइव मुझे दें VCRs were very popular then, so we thought we should open a shop. This was 40 years ago, and our system is still continuing. We have everything in storage. If you ask for a 40-year-old cassette, we can retrieve it for you. रखा हुआ है उसको हमने स्टोर करके अगर आज आप कहते हैं ना कोई चालीस साल पहले की कोई कैसेट दे दें तो आपको क्या चालीस साल पहले की कैसेट भी प्रोवाइड करके देंगे? हमारे पास मोबाइल मौजूद है। As we talked over his extensive back catalogue of recordings, I was struck by an audio cassette that I was surprised to find remained popular in the neighbourhood. He did not remember when he recorded it. For him, the processions are timeless and never change. But its contents suggested it was recorded deep amid a crowd in the period shortly before and after the dawn prayer that signals the beginning of the day of Ashura. The sobs of the recorder mingle with the lamentations of those whose bodies rustle beside the microphone. Proximate voices are barely audible. The thumping of palms on chests muffle amplified pronouncements. A melodic lament rises and falls, and the unedited cassette abruptly ends. Ali Reza told me that what his customers find so special about this recording are the ways it captures his community's mahal, an Urdu word commonly translated into English. As atmosphere, but which also describes a sense of immersion, formed through the subjective adjudication of the moral and social qualities of a particular setting. Picking up the tape, he told me, "This is the live recording. The public are reciting, and we are there recording it on site. Live has an atmosphere of its own." Central to the importance of live recordings are the ways they are perceived to most effectively mediate. The ethical, ritual, and trans-historical contours of Azadari, a word that Muhammad Shahzad earlier used to describe the ways in which the personages held in esteem by the Shia are mourned and commemorated. I asked if in Charles Hershkin's work there is a similar difference to be made between the affective and ethical conditions of live recording and performance and studio productions. In Egypt during the 1990s and early 2000s. When I was doing fieldwork there, the audio tapes that circulated most widely were live recordings of Friday sermons. The authority of the Friday sermon owes not only to its status as an oratorical form prescribed within the traditions of Islam, but also to the place and time of its performance, in a mosque and in relation to the lives and concerns of those who attend at that particular moment. One can record a sermon in a studio. But it will not be the same kind of event as that which takes place in a mosque on Friday, not as consequential nor as important. So yes, there are all sorts of studio recordings that circulate and are appreciated by listeners, but the live recording in the mosque captures, to some extent, a collective event 
within the life of the Islamic tradition in a way that other recordings will not. And that difference informs the meaning of the recorded sermon. Back in Lahore, Ali Raza's son, her, explained to me that just like ritual mourning, the circulation of recorded material publicizes and magnifies condolence to the early bet. I have been going with my dad for recordings since I was eight or nine years old. I'm always with my dad. I study in the mornings and then help him with the work. We have a relationship with our data, just as you have a certain relationship with it because of the research you are doing. A third person might ask us, why are you keeping this rubbish? For someone using a mobile phone who doesn't even know about CDs or cassettes, they would say this is wrong. Why are you keeping this? Throw it away. I know that there is no use keeping it, but it is part of our memory. Whatever we have done from our heart should be kept safe. Even if it all rots, we will still keep it. Despite his commitment to the media of his faith, many recording companies like his are struggling to compete with the recent popularity for broadcasting morning gatherings on social media platforms, where the qualities of being live remain central. Mohammed Shazad again. अभी ज्यादातर लाइव आजादारी चल रही है ठीक है जहां जैसे रात مجلس हो रही थी वो पूरी दुनिया में देखा जा रहा है जहां-जहां उनके फॉलोअर्स हैं जिसने उनको क्लिक किया हुआ है वो सब देख रहे हैं कोई अमेरिका में बैठ के देख रहा है कोई पाकिस्तान में हर जगह पे ये अभी इसी साल ज्यादा इसको प्रमोट हो गया 2000 this started only this year in 2019 and is being promoted widely. It had developed over the last seven or eight years, but there was only one place doing it, a guy who runs azadari.com. That started like how most things start. Initially, you start because of your interest, not for professional reasons. Like us, he would do it without a good mic or a camera. Wherever a majlis took place, he would go and record it. It really got going in 2019. Now there are so many websites on the internet broadcasting it all live. Everything has positives and negatives. It has increased the audience. Previously, it would only be the people present at the majlis. But now, the audience includes the live people. But that special spirit and atmosphere has gone. While for Muhammad Shahzad, live recording flattens the effective force of the Shia Majlis, for Ali Raza, the technical conditions of recording possess their own effective means of persuasion, placemaking, and moral atmosphere. Ali Raza told me that in contrast to the polished studio recordings of elegies and laments released by other marketplace producers, 
the recordings he made were marked by noise, both visual and sonic. Yet it was precisely this kind of noise that he felt allowed his recordings to communicate a powerful sense of co-presence with divinity and fellow congregants. I asked Charles Hirschkind if, in the relationship between Islam and sound, can noise have pious or ethical dimensions? Because it is the live performance of the Friday sermon that is recorded and circulated, it is important that the recording retain some markers of place and time of the recording, that it not be stripped of the sonic background of its occurrence. While this background may include traffic sounds and sirens, the most important background for the sermon is the vocalized responses of the mosque attendees as they listen, digest, and ethically respond to the preacher's oratory. That response marks the occasion as a collective event in the life of the Ummah, such that the individual acts of audition that are subsequently mediated by recordings of the sermon can be understood as extensions of that authoritative performance. In this sense, we would probably would not want to call the audience sounds captured on tape noise in the way that sirens in the background could be called noise. When I was working on sermon tapes uploaded to YouTube, I noticed that in many cases people preferred the blurrier, jerkier images of amateur recordings more than some of the polished studio-produced content, precisely because they felt that the dramatic visual imagery in the latter distracted from the emotionality of the vocal performance which they felt was the most important element in the sermon. In that sense, you know, the noisiness of the image enhanced the qualities of the voice. Thank you to Karen Ruffell and Charles Hirschkind, and to my interlocutors in Lahore, Mohammed Shazad, Mohammed Ashik, Ali Raza, and Her Abbas. These interviews in Lahore were conducted between January and February 2020. The recitations featured in this sound essay and others like it can be heard in their entirety in a Muharram-focused episode on the show Pirate Modernity that I regularly host with Abira Arif Bashir on the radio station NTS. I am Timothy Cooper. Thank you for listening to this Canthropod episode from the Department of Social Anthropology at the University of Cambridge. <laughs>